Good morning, guys. Welcome to the gym. We're still in here. Um, for those of you who didn't know, maybe it's your first time here. We're in here while we're repairing the sanctuary, uh, but we're glad that is going on, and um, hopefully sometime this summer, hopefully we'll be back in there, but it'll be all right. We're in here uh, for now, and we are, we've been working through the book of Acts, but we're pausing today for a little bit of a different reason. Um, what happens, we're, for those of you who didn't know, uh, maybe you just show up and you're here because friends are here or whatever, um, and maybe you're not familiar. We're, we're a church, so if you're in church, if you didn't know that this morning, and that's where all your friends are. And uh, First Baptist Church, we're a Southern Baptist Church, and some of you may go, well, what does that mean? Well, that means we're one of 46,000 other churches in the U.S., uh, and we have a uh, Baptist faith and message that we um, have as a guide for our doctrine, and then we partner uh, together with those churches, and we send missionaries out on the mission field, and, and we do works all through North America and around the world in different ways. And then the Southern Baptist Convention, if you're a church in there, each one of those churches is different. They do things different. They act different. They meet in gyms sometimes. They meet in worship centers sometimes. And the Southern Baptist Convention has some things that they do along the way where they say, hey, you may want to do certain things on certain days or think about this. And as a matter of fact, if you followed it, you'd have something that you're talking about every week. Well, this week, typically, in the, the Southern Baptist calendar is a week where we would recognize and honor our senior adults. And we have done that here for a long time. And what we typically do is we have a lunch for our senior adults afterwards, and we let people determine whether you're a senior adult or not, because we dare not call anyone a senior adult, because we understand that back in time, people love to be called senior adults, but today, no, we don't want to be called senior adults, so whatever you call yourself. So we normally would do a lunch, but you're sitting where we would normally be doing lunch. So we're not doing that today, but we want you to know we haven't forgotten about you, and we're going to be doing that in the fall this year and honoring our senior adults there. But we wanted today, uh, in light of that, to talk a little bit about what it means to live a legacy. And before you tune out and think that, oh, well, so you're just talking to all the old people, well, first of all, you got to be careful saying that to anybody because there's always someone who's looking at you saying, oh, they're talking to you. I just wanted you to know that. And uh, the second thing is, no, I'm not talking about what it means just as we age or as we get older. I'm talking about what it means to live a legacy and what it means to live in such a way where you understand a couple of things. One, that we're here today because somebody did some work before us so that we can be in this place. And two, that we have some work to do today so that those following us can do the same things. That's what it means to live with this idea of legacy. Now, for example, I will tell you, um, I'm going to tell you a story, and there's a point to this story, not just talking about me, because when you first start preaching, one of the things that they teach you is don't get up there and talk about yourself all the time. Nobody wants to hear that, which is true. Nobody wants to hear that. But I have a little story I think is relevant this morning. Um, I graduated seminary for the second time this week. Thank the Lord we got through with that. And thank you for all of the encouragement and stuff along the way. Thank you. And so as I, as I walked across the stage this week, the president of the seminary stopped me on stage uh, with everybody looking. That was real nerve-wracking for a little bit. And he said, I need to let everybody here know something. As Dr. Holloway comes across the stage, you need to know that this is actually a historic moment for the seminary. Because as he gets his degree, you need to know 
that the founder of the seminary, B.H. Carroll, is Dr. Holloway's great-great-grandfather. And so we have one of the relatives of the founder of the seminary who graduated from the seminary this week. So that was a pretty awesome moment. So I realized, man, if even my great-great-grandfather hasn't, hadn't done some of the things that he did, I might not be doing some of the things that I did even this week. So that's interesting to think about. Here's another thing. His son, B.H. Carroll's son, was a pastor of First Baptist Church back in the early 1900s. How about that? Did you know that? So I'm not the first one of my family members to pastor this church. Now, how many of you knew that? Anybody knew that? Yeah, nobody. Okay, there's a couple of you that knew that. So here's why we're talking about living a legacy. Because sometimes we don't stop and think about what it means for those that have gone before to set the table and to set things up so that we're supposed to live this out in our generation. And at the same time, we're supposed to live in such a way that thinks about those who are coming along behind us. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Whether you're 7 years old or 107 years old, you know some things and you can look back and help other people feel more comfortable and come along, whether it be in their faith or whether it be in life or whether it be at school or whatever. We have to own and understand that we have a responsibility that we're walking in front of someone who's walking behind us and we can help them along the way in life. And one of the best ways that we do that is we share our story. So you can write this in your first blank. My story of faith is one of the greatest gifts that I can share. Well, well, what do you mean my story of faith is one of the greatest gifts that I can, I mean, what's going on? Well, we're going to talk about this today, and we're going to look at this. We're going to be in the book of Judges. And I want to share with you, and I'm going to use this word to describe these words. I want to share with you an amazing story. And hopefully as I share this story from the book of Judges, you can see why it's so amazing. You see, God not only is at work in the lives of all of his people or in churches or in things, he's, he's, in the li- he's, in, he's at work in the lives of individuals. He does things in your life that he does differently in the lives of other people. And when we have those times and we're able to share those with other people, we're able to help them along in life, then we point them to the person of Jesus Christ and we help them get through this life in a little bit better way. You know, I've said this all the time. I just wish my kids would make different mistakes than I did. Just don't make the same ones I did because I know you're going to make mistakes. But at least learn from my stupidity so that you can have a new level of stupidity in your life then I would feel like I have succeeded as a parent. Amen? I mean, that's what we want to do. So this is what it means. When we've walked through life and we understand and we've learned some things, we can share our story of faith. And we can say, this is what it's looked like for me to walk with God. This is what's going on. But what happens is we have a tendency to just kind of go through life and, and unintentionally, We begin to get these blinders on and think, well, I just got to take care of myself, and now I've got my family to take care of, and we, and we, we tend to start looking down and looking just in this little tunnel of taking care of things just ourselves. And if we're not intentional, we lose the ability to say, hey, I can help people come along and get to where I am getting as well. If we don't, then bad things happen. Let's look at this. Judges chapter 2 starts in verse 6. It says, previously when Joshua had sent the people away, the Israelites had gone to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. Now let me catch you up if you might not be familiar with these stories of Scripture, which often people aren't. Joshua was the person that God used to actually lead the children of Israel to take possession of the promised land. 
And before Joshua, there was a man named Moses. And Moses was the man that God used to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. And so a real quick synopsis of this story is that the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. God raised up Moses as a leader. And Moses came and led the people away from Egypt. And that is if you're familiar with these older stories in Scripture of where you get the parting of the Red Sea. You get the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire that led the people through the wilderness. You get the story of God fed them with manna and doves. He took care of his people and walked them. And they left Egypt and plundered Egypt. And they didn't even fight a war. God fought for them and led them out of there. And so this is what's happening. And when that's happening as Moses as a leader, Joshua is this young adult, if you will. Maybe even a teenager at the time when they're leaving the wilderness. I mean, they're leaving Egypt. And they they leave the land, they go, they part the Red Sea, and they walk. And so Joshua becomes one of the leaders that works with Moses. But Moses and his generation did not get to enter the promised land because of their faithlessness and disobedience to God. So that's why they wandered in the desert for 40 years. But then when that generation had passed away, even, they saw, even though they saw God do great miracles, God then raised up Joshua as a leader. And then they began to take possession of the promised land. And that's when you begin to see some stories in Scripture with things like the taking of the city of Jericho, where the people of Israel, again, they didn't really fight these wars. They marched around the city seven times and blew the trumpets and the walls fell and God took the land. God continued to lead them in just incredible ways with Joshua as the leader. And they began to take possession of this land. And when they took possession of the land, they gave it to the different tribes and said, this section is yours and this section is yours. And that's what this verse is saying. Previously, Joshua sent the people of Israel away. The Israelites had gone to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. Verse 7, the people worshipped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime and during the lifetimes of the elders who outlived Joshua. They had seen all the Lord's great works he had done for Israel. So you get the picture, is that Joshua and all of his contemporaries, they had seen the great things that God had done and they lived for the Lord. It says in verse 8, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at age 110. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. That whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. But then look at these words. And after them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. Now, it's not on the screen, but the very, next ver- the very next words in Scripture are, the Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. So here's what we get with this story. And here's why I say this is pretty amazing. You think about it this way. Moses' generation saw God do incredible things, lead them out of slavery and toward the promised land. God fed them. God took care of them. Their shoes never wore out. Their clothes never wore out. I mean, they saw incredible miracles. And then when that generation passed away... Then Joshua's generation rises up, and they get to take possession of the promised land. And the way that they're taking possession of the promised land is by God doing these incredible miracles. And then it says the very next generation. So understand this. Moses' grandchildren's generation. Joshua's children's generation. That close to seeing all these incredible things happen. What Scripture tells us about them is that 
they didn't know the Lord and follow him. That's amazing to me. Because I just sit here and think, well, they were there. Didn't they see anything? Were they not paying attention? Because you may think that as well. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people at this church that tell me, I just don't understand how to, how to tell my story of faith to my grandkids. They just don't get it. I just don't, I don't understand what my kids are doing because I'm trying this, you know, to parent and to lead them. And I just don't understand how I can, how I do this. And so then we see that in just this one generation, just whoop, bam, it's gone. And, and raised up this generation of people who did not know the Lord and who did evil in the sight of the Lord. As a matter of fact, I'll just tell you this. The book of Judges is not a very encouraging book, but it's a very important book in Scripture. Because the first of Judges is where you get stories like that. Where you begin to see that God led the people out and they were in the promised land, but they began to fall away from the Lord. And then what happens in the book of Judges, God always raises up someone to lead the people. And here's the, how the book of Judges goes. Someone raises up to lead the people. They follow the people as long as that guy lives. That guy passes away and then the people do what? They run away from the Lord again. And it's this cycle. And it's not like this. It's like this. It's just a spiral downward until you get to the end of the book of Judges. And the very last verse of the book of Judges is this. In those days, there was no king in Israel, no leadership. Everyone did what seemed right to him. That's how the book ends. It just stops right there. Everyone did what seems right to him. Done. Now, you've heard me talk about this before, but what our culture in America is doing is raising this value of individualism where we're trying to say everybody just needs to do whatever they feel is right with them and everybody needs to be okay with that. Scripture tells us a story that that's not a good place for us to be. Now, I'm not up here hating on America. And I'm not up here hating on the culture and the generation. Why can't these kids just get it? That's not what we're saying at all. I'm sitting here saying, why in the world did this happen? How in the world do you have Moses' grandkids all of a sudden just running around doing whatever they wanted to do? That close to thing. How in the world do you have Joshua's children running around doing whatever they want to do? I'm just going to tell you this. We have to be intentional about raising up the next generation of people. Or if we just kind of leave it all out there thinking it's just going to happen on its own, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. We have to be intentional on how to do that. And that doesn't mean that we beat things over the head, and that doesn't mean that we get mad about things. It just means that, that we take responsibility to say, I'm going to do what I can to live a legacy. And again, I, I'm not saying that we leave a legacy. I, I promise you this, if you live a legacy, you will leave a legacy. So I don't need to talk to you about how to leave things. I need to talk to you about how to live things. Because when you do that right, then you'll leave things well anyway. Catch that? So what does this look like? Well, the first thing is this. We all need to understand this. I'm responsible to raise up the next generation. I'm responsible to raise up the next generation. If you are in high school, you're responsible for the middle schoolers. If you're in middle school, you're responsible for the elementary kids. If you're in elementary, you're responsible for the pre-K. Just thought we'd tell you that. If you're in pre-K, you're responsible for the babies. If you're a baby, you're responsible for people you don't even know are going to be here yet. Okay? See, and I didn't even have to talk to the adults. Because let me just tell you this. You're responsible for the next generation. And if we look at that as a great gift and a privilege that God has given it to us, then we don't see it as this work or this task that has to be done. We just see it as going... Wow, if I don't do this, then they're not going to know. And they're not going to see how to do these things. But there's a certain 
way that we can go about this uh, that sometimes is more successful than other ways. And so, like I said, we begin Judges with this story of Joshua dying and then the people falling away from the Lord. And we end the book of Judges with this point where everybody's just kind of doing what they want. I think we can be observant enough to look at our culture and say we're kind of heading down this path where we're just letting everybody do what they want, which we realize is probably not a good idea. Somebody has to be right. Somebody has to be wrong. There's got to be something in here where we don't just get to all do what we want. We've got to follow something. So how do we tell people about who we've chosen to follow? Well, here's the ways that we do that. I want to talk about this for just a little bit this morning. I need to remember some things if I'm going to do this. If you want to take this responsibility and say, hey, I want to be a person that makes an impact on the next generation. Here's the first thing you do. I need to remember that every day is day one for someone. Every day is day one for someone. Okay? It's someone's first time to show up at the youth group. It's someone's first time to walk in the doors of these church. It's someone's first day on your school campus. It's someone's first day at that job. It's someone's first time to walk in to that store. It's someone's first day somewhere every day. And we often just think, well, everybody knows this. Everybody knows what to do at church. Everybody understands why we do these things. Everybody gets this. And when we live that way, we unintentionally kill the next generation. Because here's what happens. People go, I don't know what's going on. I'm uncomfortable. I'm leaving. That's what happens. If you have an experience somewhere where you just go, I don't, I don't like this. Can I just tell you this? Let me pick on pastors. When I moved here, I was trying to find other pastors to get to know in the area and to learn things about. So I showed up at the Minister's Alliance. And, yeah, I'm going to rip on all of our pastors. If they're watching this video, I'm talking about you. So there you go. All right. I show up at the Minister's Alliance probably four meetings before I finally spoke up and went, I don't know what you're talking about. And they went, what? And I went, you guys keep talking about things that you do, and you're using code language, and I just moved here, and I have no idea what you're talking about. You talk about this event and that event, I don't even know what those are. And they're like, oh, wow. And I'm like, yeah, so if you want my help, <laughs> you're probably going to need to fill me in on some things that are going on. You see, and they don't even think about it. They're just thinking, ah, oh, we're trying to do good things, but I'm going, I'm clueless. This is it. It's everybody's first day somewhere at some point in time. And if we live like that, then we'll be better off in helping other people along. I, I told this story last service. I'll tell it again. Uh, w one of the jokes in our family is, is Timothy's first day of middle school in Louisiana. We had moved from Texas to Louisiana. And they spell things different in Louisiana. It's a, it's a beautiful place. It's a wonderful culture. Some of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life. It's a great place. It really is. And, but they have their own language, their own way of thinking, their own way of talking. Great thing. And so here's this middle school Texan boy sitting in the gym full of all people around the gym. And this is what, here's the instructions they give. They hand you the sheet of paper and they, they say, your teacher's name's on there. When your teacher's name's called, get up and go to class with that teacher. And so Timothy's sitting in the stance and they call Miss Thibodeau's name. And he looks at his sheet of paper and he stays sitting right there. Because he's going, well, Dad, it looked like Thibodeau. I don't know how to spell Thibodeau. And so he sat there until he finally realized, oh, that's Thibodeau. You know, you just, you don't know what you don't know. And that's what we need to remember. And so when you assume that everybody gets it, you unintentionally kill the next generation. Or you kill the next visitor. Or you kill the next person who just doesn't understand and they just end up going, I'm, I'm just getting away from this. You know, and sometimes we get frustrated that people don't know things. 
and we get frustrated. I just don't understand why. Well, stop it. Because you didn't know it until somebody told you that as well. And we have a story here in Scripture that illustrates us just proximity to the action that's going on does not mean people understand it. I can't tell you. I wish I could think of an illustration. How many times I've just stood in a room and kept my mouth shut because I'm going, I don't have a clue what's going on, but I'm just going to look like I'm smart and nod my head until I get out of here and go, whew, I made it through that. See, we have to realize we need to be intentional. And, and we, we tend to walk in the same ways and do the same places and go to the same people and sit with the same people and do the same. And we're walking by people all the time that are just looking for someone to go, hey, let me help you understand where to go. Let me let you see what's going on. Let me recognize that it's your first time here and doing things. Every day is day one for someone. And it's not just that people aren't intelligent, but sometimes you can't observe and figure things out. And I'm just going to go ahead and laugh at us all. And church is a hard place to just observe and figure things out. Um, I, I love the fact when, when Julie and I met, Julie's my wife, when Julie and I met, um, she was not a Christian. She did not know the Lord at that point in time. And I had been a Christian and walking with the Lord. And one of the best things ever happened to me was I started dating her and she started asking these questions. Why do you do that? And I just had to go, I don't know. I've just grown up that way. I've always done that. I have no earthly idea why I do those things. It's just there. And I actually had to start thinking about why in the world do I do those things. And it took someone bold enough to at least start asking, why in the world do you do that? They don't just figure it out on their own magically. You have to actually help people along the way. And so if you're going to live a legacy, you're going to need to live with this idea that I'm not getting up and going to work just to go to work for me, or I'm not getting up and going to the grocery store. You realize that sometimes at the grocery store, it's somebody's first time to have to go buy groceries there on their own. You remember that as a married couple? Going there and figuring out your parents were poor because of the brands they bought. You're like, I didn't know we were poor. We bought these things. That's why we did that. Or la I, we laughed because there were pig ears. At the, at the thing one time. We're walking by going, looking for meat, and I'm like, Julie, this is disgusting. Did you see they have a pig ear here? I mean, that's us at the store. We had no idea what to do. So we bought the pig ear, we put it in my dad's freezer, and we waited, and it was an awesome thing. But that's the time. It's somebody's first day somewhere where they're just overwhelmed with this type of stuff, and when people will bring them along and show them even the smallest thing, it just helps raise that next generation. So... Here's another thing that we need to remember along the way in the next generation. Giving others hope is just as important as giving them help. Giving others hope is just as important as giving them help. Sometimes we're quick to want to give our advice on things, on how to do things, instead of just patting someone on the back and saying, you're going to make it through this, it's going to be okay. Let me just tell you something in here. Every mother of preschoolers in here needs to hear from moms who have been through that, that you're going to make it. You're going to be able to eat a meal again at some point in time without having to stop and clean things up or do this stuff. You're going to make it through potty training. You're going to make it. Th they need to hear that from you. They don't need to hear how to do it necessarily unless they ask. They just need someone to come alongside and go, life will go on again one day. Parents of teenagers, they need to hear. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it through this. All right? And then in other ways. Maybe, you're, maybe you've run across someone who's just struggling at work. Hey, God's going to see you through that. Yeah, maybe you've been through something like that. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've lost a loved one. And God can use you, not necessarily to give someone the seven steps on how to get through that, but just to come alongside them and say, hey, let me just tell you, when this happened to me, God was faithful to me. 
and I know that, it, that God's going to be faithful to you in this. Sometimes people just need hope just as much as they need help. Let me just tell you something. If people need help, I promise you they'll ask you. If you're there providing hope, they'll ask you when they need help. If you're the one that comes alongside them and says, hey, I just want to let you know, you're not in this alone. You're going to get through this. They may say thank you and move on because that's what they needed. Or they may look at you and go, okay, how did you do this? And then that opens you an opportunity to be able to say, well, let's figure this out together. And so that's part of bringing these other people along. Sometimes you just don't see things and figure it out. But when you think about, if you could just stop at this point in your life, and again, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you can just stop and say, well, what are some things that I've learned that I could help other people learn? What, what are some things that maybe God's done in my life that I could tell other people about that would give them hope? What are some things that God's seen me through? And, and here's the hard part about it. Let's just be honest. Most of the time when we think about those things, we're thinking about our mistakes. We're thinking about things that we've done in the past that we've messed up that we thought this is going to end everything. I can't believe that I'm going to have to deal with this. But yet here we are living and breathing today. And somebody needs to hear the message of how you went from there to today. And they just need to know that it's going to be okay. God's going to see you through this time. You know, Paul says it this way. In 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing and he's telling this story about, it's called a thorn in the flesh in Scripture. So there's something that Paul has that he just doesn't want anymore. It's just there. It's bothering him. And it, Scripture doesn't ever say what it is. It just says that it's kind of on him and it eats at him. And this is how when Paul prayed, God, would you just take this away and out of, this, out of my life? Here's the response that God gave Paul. It says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And this is what's happening here. Paul's saying, I figured it out, that people sometimes, they can't identify with all my successes. But man, people can identify when I come and say, I'm hurting like this too. Or I've been through that. Or I've dealt with that. But I have a connection. And sometimes people just need the hope to know that this connection isn't going to be the end of all things. So why wouldn't we tell them how to do these things? Why wouldn't we tell them this stuff? Well, listen, it's not always going to look the same. People may be walking a similar path that you did. But God's going to meet each one of us individually because God can meet each one of us at our point of need. And that's what's great. And people just often need to hear that there's life and even joy beyond sometimes a struggle or a valley or a season that they're walking through. So we have an opportunity to share in that way. And then here is one of the things that I think is, is very important. And I need you to hear me carefully on this one. Because I'm not anti what I'm about to say. I'm just saying that there's some importance that we need to keep in mind. Point people to truth more than to tradition. Point people to truth more than to tradition. Meaning that people need to understand why before they can understand what. So there's oftentimes that we can teach people what to do. And maybe they can learn to mimic things, but then it's kind of empty because they don't necessarily understand why we're doing that or where it came from or what the significance of it is or what the purpose of it is. We've just taught people, you know, hey, here's, here's behavior modification. We're just going to teach you how to act a certain way, but they don't necessarily understand why. And so that's why we're saying we want to point people to truth more than to tradition. Now, 
there are times that traditions help teach truth. And there are times that traditions are important and they're there for a reason. But we have to make sure that we're not just teaching the traditions without teaching the truth that goes with them. We don't just tell our kids what to do all the time. We reach a certain point in life where we sit down and because we want them to be adults. And we say, let me tell you why I made the decisions I made. Let me tell you why we're doing the things that we're doing. Let me tell you why we handle things this way, not just what to do. Because how do people respond when you tell them what to do anyway? They don't do it. They don't even have to be your own children, right? It can be anybody's kids and they don't do it. People don't necessarily like to be told what to do. But everybody's looking for, well, why? Why are they doing that? What's going on? And that's one way that actually it's pretty interesting that we get to celebrate the next generation. Kevin, I'm going to pick on you. Is that okay? So Kevin's our, Kevin's our youth minister, and he knows I love him to death. And we've had a ton of conversations because I spent 20 years doing student ministry. And Kevin comes to my office often, and he'll go, well, what do I need to do? And I go, I don't know. I'm old. That's what I tell him. Because I'm not going, I don't know what to do anymore. I can tell you what I did, and I can tell you why I did it, but I need you to figure out what you need to do today because I'm not the youth minister anymore. Does that make sense? And then he comes up with things, and sometimes I go back to my office and close the door, and I pray. I just pray. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Kevin. So, uh, you know, because sometimes we do look at the next generation, and we go, I'm not so sure that's going to work, you know. But you have to step back and go, hey, I trust that he loves the Lord. I trust that he knows why he's doing that, and we're just going to let him try it. We're just going to let it go. And that's, that's kind of the relationship we have. Am I lying? All right. I wouldn't lie to the whole church. Or I paid you very well, one of the two, which that one's not true. So, yeah, I can't be lying. So that's the way that this works. We're not just talking about, hey, I want you to learn to do youth ministry the way I did it. Because that's kind of useless today. I just want to say, here's how I loved on kids, and you need to figure out how to love on kids in, in this way. And here's what's cool. When you see the next generation do something new and it works, then you get to celebrate. And you get to look and go, this is awesome. And it might not look like what I did, and it might not, you know, even be something that I completely understand, but I'm glad it's happening. I mean, come on. 25 years ago, do you think I would have stood up on stage and go, everybody get your iPads out and let's turn to, no. Access the Bible on your smartphone, let's do it. No. Is that a bad thing? Absolutely not. I mean, come on. Get out and text to give right now. That's not a bad thing either. We can do that. There's all kinds of things that we can do now just because the world is progressing that we wouldn't think to have done 30 years ago. So it's kind of silly to think that we can hold on so tightly to our traditions and that it's going to take care of everything along the way. No. Sometimes we just need to help the the generation behind us understand this is why we do it and this is why it's important. How does that look in your generation? How does that look to you? And that's what we need to do. Psalm 98. Psalm 98. That's okay, Ava. Psalm 98 says it this way. It says, sing a new song to the Lord. I'm going to say that again. Psalm 98 says this, sing a new song to the Lord. I don't like that new song. Well, too bad. Scripture tells us we're to sing a new song to the Lord. You know all those songs that you love were new songs before, and the people before you, you know what they said? I don't like that new song. Well, guess what? When we learn to embrace the fact that the new generation is going to do something new and they're going to express this truth and love to the Lord, we should celebrate that. Does that mean we just totally forget what we've done? No, I did not say that. Because part of it is teaching them the traditions and the reasons why we do things. And younger generations have the responsibility to respect 
and love the older generations as well. But it's got to go both ways. And let me just tell you the bad news. It's always the older people who have to lead the way in that. Because God expects more from those who have more. And when we've experienced more life, then it's time for us to bite our lips and do things different and go, let me sacrifice to you to give you the example of what to do. And so that's what we do. And then we sing a new song to the Lord, for he's performed many wonders. His right hand and holy arm have won him victory. The Lord has made his victory known. He's revealed his righteousness inside of the nations, meaning that they can all see it. He's remembered his love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen God's victory. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord. Be jubilant, shout for joy, and sing. Sing to the Lord with the lyre, with lyre and melodious song. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout triumphantly. In the presence of the Lord our King, let the sea and all that fills it, the world and all who live in it, resound. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord. For he's coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. That's why we sing a new song. When people get it and they understand that this is who God is and this is what he's doing and they begin to live for him, then we celebrate that even if it doesn't look like what it may have looked like before. You see, I read this story again in Judges and I'm just, I'm just amazed that after them another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. And unless we're intentional, that will be what is written about our generations as well. And you realize there's multiple generations in the room, so I'm not just picking on anybody. We all have to understand that if we're not intentional in living this out, then it's going to stop with us and it's not going to live on. So let me just ask this question. What am I giving for the next generation? What am I giving for the next generation? Now let me just have a little moment here. People always think, oh, well, you're asking for money. No, I didn't say that. The word giving has more meanings than just cash. You realize that. What am I giving for the next generation? How am I living my life in such a way where I'm giving my time, my money, my effort, my intentionality to make sure that somebody behind me, and listen to my words, that somebody behind me gets to do it better than I did it. Anybody here want their kids to do it worse than you did it? Anybody in here want their grandkids to do it worse than you did it? No. We all have a desire that those coming behind us would actually live life better than you did. That they would experience things better than you did. So how about we live that way? That's what it means to live a legacy. We live in such a way that we're giving to the next generation. We can take care of ourselves while doing that as well. Because guess what? If the next generation is taking care of you, you're getting poured into as well. That's how God wants us to work. And if the younger generations are respecting the older generations, then those are happening as well. Now, I say this all the time at the church. Our church is a picture of this. We see this all the time in our church. Oh, we have struggles at times. That's fine. But that's what this looks like. And so we need to ask our question, what am I giving for the next generation? But let me close with this thought. You can't give what you don't have. You, you can't leave a faith legacy if you don't have a faith in God. And so my prayer is simply this, that you would know Jesus Christ. That you would know the one, he's forgiven me because there's mistakes and sins that I've done in life that I need forgiveness of. And, and I've given my life to him and he's led me and I do the best that I can to live for him. And he's done great things in my life because I've followed him. And I love to share that story with anybody who will listen. And so he's the one that I just want to tell you that offers life to the fullest. When you live your life for Christ, 
the things that you experience in this life are greater than anything that you've ever known. You can't do that without Jesus Christ. And if you didn't know, he's also the reason that we gather and we worship and we sing and we celebrate and we encourage one another each week. It's because of God's incredible love for us. And one of the things we say here all the time is a verse, Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, did you catch that? God, who was and is and is to come, he didn't wait for us to do things his way. He took the first step saying, while they don't even deserve it, I'm going to give them my everything. And my prayer is then that their response will be to come to know me. That's how God has called us to live our life as well. And when we live our life in that way, you experience life like never before.